Hi guys, welcome back to I Got Your Credits, oh my episode number <laughs> 51. I'm here as always with my lovely and artsy co-host, Ooh. Carly Bauer. Ooh. The earrings Hi, just really yeah. popped out the word for me today, the little, oh my gosh. little rainbows you I feel so honored. coming down your ears. <laughs> Thanks, I love these earrings. For those who can't see, they're like little like paint swatchy for- earrings. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, my beautiful friend Margaret Armstrong bought them for me because she loves me. So we, we have matching earrings. So oh really? I didn't even know, know that part about it. Yeah, that just makes it better. So <laughs> I know it's just it's wonderful. So I love them. <laughs> um, they make me feel more artsy and more um, colorly intelligent. So when I was doing my presentation on colors and hues and shit today, I felt a lot more prepared. Mm-hmm. I could feel it coursing through my earlobes. Yeah. How many, yeah. if you raised the bottom of the earring up to in front of your face, how many of the colors can you actually, like, read? Is it, like, actually like, helpful? Go like this? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, like, three? Six, six, four, four. I can see, like, six on this side. Oh, okay. And then there's... Ow. I mean, and they're the same, so, like, this isn't helpful. <laughs> oh, my God. And the other thing is I have bifocals, too. So, like, trying to read that uh, strains my freaking eyeballs. <laughs> Bifocals, two focal, focalized lenses, man. Two mm-hmm. different lenses. Because I can see really bad up close and really bad far away, but I can see worse far away. So, the these top parts of my lenses are stronger prescriptions than the bottom parts. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But I need prescriptions for both. Like, if I take my glasses up, I can see to right here. Right Clear. here is about six inches for the listeners. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes. So that's really cool. And it's really great um, not being able to see without glasses. Mm-hmm. So. Can relate to that. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, with all that said, what is going on in the world of Carly this week? I Every time we do this week off and come back, I feel like it's just like, a part of the week's been missing, and I'm like, okay. I know. I, I know. This, I miss. I'm I like, I don't know what's going on in Bryce's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. So this week, for me personally, mm-hmm. um, I got accepted into the BFA review program, which I talked to you a little bit about when I applied. Yes. Um. Yes. You did. So I got accepted. So I have to do the actual review now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm really scared. I really want to pass the review and I'm nervous is all poop, Bryce. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> is there yeah, an email, so that's coming up. Is there an email we can harass all of the people behind the process with? All of our little fans? <laughs> no, no. Just support me with with your mind. Okay. <laughs> I'll, do I'll, I'll, I'll start thinking. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so there's that, um, which is in about a month. So that's what's new with me personally. Beyond the world of Carly, um, Snyder Cut comes out this week. Mm-hmm. Today, actually, the, as of Yeah, it comes out right, like, it's tonight. Been, it's been out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is out. It's out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so does Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yep. Tomorrow. Well, Tomorrow. Friday. Today. Today. Yep. <laughs> This right now. Right, um, now. <laughs> yep. I saw a commercial for Wonder Woman 84 on DVD. Okay. On the TV. Yeah, so I that saw was some... weird because I feel like that just came out. Yeah. I saw some really sick steelbook 
uh, designs for the 4K copy. I was like, okay, I did not like that movie <laughs> that much, but, like, I want to own that so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I still feel weird watching the trailers, because I'm like, these look good. <laughs> like, what, there's, like, Kristen Wiig and Chris Pine running around, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that looks good. Yeah. It's a disappointment. Anyway, um, and then... Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm planning to watch the new Disney princess movie. Ryan the within, Last Dragon? Yes, with yeah. it, like, this weekend, I just, hopefully. I took my sister to see that uh, two weekends ago now. Uh, Was it good? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Really? Yeah, okay. Um, we Maybe we can even talk about it when it's not $30 for me to watch it again on Disney+. Plus. Um <laughs> <laughs> but okay uh yeah i as of right now i think you you would enjoy it um okay so i believe you okay good to know yeah <laughs> so that's coming up i'm gonna do that i'll let you know my thoughts on that if we do an episode um, especially if we do an episode especially but i'll probably just let bryce have an exclusive uh <laughs> I'll get my own inside pick of my brain <laughs> yeah bryce gets his own bonus episode every time we talk mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's as interesting as we would make it if it was po- a little more polished, but right. that's all right. There's not any so. editing going on in that episode. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's 90% me just, um, my brain running yeah. on high speeds, so you, you don't, yeah, you, my, I don't, I don't stick to one subject for too long. No. And I don't make my thoughts thorough. <laughs> Yeah, no cohesive nature whatsoever. No, I'm here. not very cohesive. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. So that's what's up mm-hmm. in the world of cinema and the world of Carly. What about the world of Bryce? The world of Bryce. Uh, I, so when we started this podcast, we got about two episodes in and I got sent home. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, so did you. So did a lot of people. Yes, I did. <laughs> so did most everyone. Yep. Because that's when quarantine started. <laughs> Um, so I started working in the construction company that my father owns, um, and we have been in what like one singular building like for the past year now, um, which is a little mind numbing to say the least because it's like you go every now and then you'll get called to a different project and it'll get done within you know a day and you're like wow that feels great and then you have to go back to this building where it seems like no matter what you do nothing gets moved whatsoever. Um, but, is this one building your house? <laughs> uh, it's my parents' house. The people I have trapped in my basement right now. That's where they're moving into. Um, <laughs> so the building itself is like maybe half of an entire city block. And like it's just one ginormous building um, that was a bunch of different things. It was storage for art. It was a mechanical shop it was just a bunch of people's junk shoved into random spots it's and it's and it was six different buildings that they all like broke walls down to combine them so it's all like this interweaving maze system thing and now we're trying to make it into studio apartments um oh my gosh <laughs> so it's a it's a lot to say the least but this week uh, has been really uh, this is like the first week in a, in a long time where it's like you can visibly see progress going on by the end of the day because uh, we've been putting in uh, new windows in and the old windows uh, were like completely just like painted over or just dirty and you'd have to like hold your entire face up to see out of and now it's like 
it's just so weird to like be in a room you've been in for an entire year and finally get to see like a new angle from like outside kind of a thing and i just like little things like that that's like okay okay i get it now like it's we're actually getting somewhere here um but other than that um similar to you snyder cut got released today um my roommate and i have been we rewatched man of steel um and batman versus superman which he had seen neither um <laughs> and he pretty much had uh the same opinions as me uh, he thought Zod looked really stupid. His haircut was uh, horrendous in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, but other than he liked that movie. And then as far as Batman vs. Superman, though, we just could not stand Jesse Eisenberg whatsoever. Just, like, <laughs> one of the worst portrayals of, like, a comic book character I've ever seen in my life. Really? I mean... I want to say no, but I really, because it's because I like Jesse Eisenberg. That's the only yeah, reason. Yeah, see, I, I don't. Them. I think, yeah, I think he, he with any role is like, because you don't like Zombieland either. I feel yeah. like he's a very specific, you like him or you don't. And if you don't like yeah. him, you're not going to like the show. Right. Uh, I think, honestly, my favorite role that I've seen, because I haven't seen a lot, is um, him in Rio, where he plays the, the blue bird. <laughs> like, Wait, does he actually? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen Rio. That was a that was a big minivan movie when we were growing up. So uh, I heard a lot of his voice, and uh, yeah, I don't know. And then as far as like social network goes, I just found his character to be so annoying that I was like, I can't like. Process. That's the point, though. I, you're supposed I, to think I he's know, annoying. I know, but I was like, uh, yeah, I, you're not. I'm not gonna becoming more of a fan of you because I find your character <laughs> annoying, kind of a thing. Um, that's how I was about uh, Danny McBride too, who's a comedic actor. But after a while, yeah. He, like his most of his characters are really big assholes and then after a while after watching the movie so many times because i'm watching it for seth rogan <laughs> he eventually comes across as a lot funnier than i found him the first time so maybe i'll come around to him but as of right now i'm not a huge fan so naturally i was my dad are we what go, go ahead <laughs> so, go ahead so naturally, i'll say it in a second go ahead. <laughs> so, so naturally i wasn't or will probably never be that big of a fan of his portrayal of lex Luthor because uh, even if uh, he wasn't Jesse, if it was a different person, if if the different actor gave that performance, it, it's just a weird betrayal to begin with. So that's uh, that's uh, my quick updated thoughts that haven't changed very much since her. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say um, my dad always said that he had a hard time watching Bradley Cooper after watching um, Wedding Crashers was the first thing he saw him in. Yeah. And he plays such a complete dick in that movie. <laughs> yeah. And so it's hard. But I, it's crazy because the first thing I saw him was in those The Hangover. Mm -hmm. And I really like him in that movie. And my dad said the first time he watched Wedding Crashers, he always was like... Um, there's no way that that guy's going to do anything. He's going to be so typecast. And like now Bradley Cooper's like and everything. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think mine would have to be Guardians, but like I don't really. Count well, yeah, that I mean, much. obviously. But like, yeah, as far as like, well, like him, a Star him, is Born, it would be a Star is Born. So yeah, uh, that was yeah, my it's crazy. A good, I think that's probably a bet, maybe a better introduction. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, other than that, Falcon and Winter Soldier drops tomorrow. Uh, like I mentioned in my our WandaVision episode, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna watch it, but I'm not like 
shitting my pants waiting for it to drop kind of a thing i'm like all right let's just see what they have for me hopefully they'll win me over even more than just because i'm a fan of the series um uh yeah ryan the last dragon was good uh check out our wandavision episode uh yeah <laughs> we talk a lot about that uh believe it or not in the episode until it entitled uh wandavision <laughs> uh, send us your uh movie selections yes if you may sure um if you feel like you are just lapsing in our um discussion about a certain film mm-hmm. that you just really need our input Let, on I, I can't move on until i hear carly and bryce's input on hoodwink 2 hood versus evil <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> That person's mean. I can't. I... <laughs> Great. Um, so if you want to outvote Bryce on Hoodwink 2, be sure to <laughs> drop a new title in there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but uh, speaking of uh, Disney princesses. That's a much better segment than what I was going to do. Uh, today we're going <laughs> to be talking about 2009, The Princess and the Frog. Yay! Uh, directed by... Uh, John Musker and Ron Clemens, who you may know because they probably, if you weren't from our generation, they probably directed a film that was from your generation because they are behind, the people behind Moana, Aladdin, Hercules, The Little Mermaid, Treasure Planet, and The Great Mouse Detective. Um, so I think it's pretty much impossible to say you haven't seen at least one of these guys. Uh, or heard of. You've heard, heard of, of yeah. them like been somewhat influenced by um their work um these guys have been around forever <laughs> uh and they, they actually came back they quit disney in 2005 for some reason and they were asked to come back under the circumstance that they could tell whatever story they wanted to and they chose this story which um, is pretty interesting but before we get too far into it let's uh Hit it up with that uh, synopsis. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> a waitress, desperate to fulfill her dream as a restaurant owner, is set on a journey to turn a frog prince back into a human being, but she is, has to face the same problem after she kisses him. That's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> One of yep. the better ones, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Some It's kind of odd to me like how shitty some synopsises are. Mm-hmm. Or like, like, spoiler-heavy. They are. Yeah, it's like insane. Like, I'm like, okay, if you're Googling the movie to read, like, you would read the plot summary if you wanted to know what was up. Yeah, right. <laughs> a synopsis is to... Get you hooked in. Yeah. Like, and every movie has to have one. Mm-hmm. Right? So why make a shitty one? <laughs> why ruin it? I don't get it. Oh, man. Um, but, like I was saying, these guys have been around the block before. Uh, and they have, they brought back a lot of tropes, or not tropes, but like, uh, techniques that were used back in the day, and they, the outcome of it actually received a lot of awards and recognition, um, that really hasn't been around since the Renaissance period in the 90s, um, for instance. Uh, this is the first film since Beauty and the Beast, where the voice actors do both the speaking and the singing parts in the film 
This is the first film since The Lion King to have more than one original song be nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. And upon receiving three Academy Award nominations in February 2010, The Princess and the Frog became the first Disney animated feature film to receive more Academy Award nominations than just one since Pocahontas in 1995. Um, <laughs> so pretty successful i was doing my research while you were doing your laundry <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm glad we both have our priorities yeah. <laughs> um this adult things doing the laundry and researching princess and the frog mm-hmm. which is more so. important we will never know we'll find out by the end of the episode I, i'd like tuned. to have some clean underwear to wear tomorrow so i think <laughs> unless you want me to uh, i just want to be know, smarter not have I... underwear <laughs> I just want to be smarter about my frog prince knowledge and everything. Mm. Okay. Nature. All right. This is, I can respect that. I can get behind it. Good, good. Uh, glad we're on the same page. <laughs> um, anyways, so when you announced that you, or told me, not announced, that you wanted to review this movie, I immediately jumped on board because this is actually one of Kelsey and I's favorite movies as a couple. Because uh, when we first started dating, there was one time where I think uh, she was at home and she was upset about something. I don't remember when. And if I did, I probably wouldn't tell everybody. But (laughs) (laughs) she was upset about something. So and at the time, I was just watching Princess and the Frog with my siblings. And I was like, oh, well, you should watch Princess and the Frog because it, it will make you feel better. And she did. And she immediately cheered up. And ever since then, it's been a movie that we either watch when we're apart from each other. We're like, oh, I miss, I miss, I miss my girlfriend so much. I'm going to watch Princess of Rock so I, so I can't have to miss her anymore. Um, so Is that I, how it goes? <laughs> it, it does. I watched it a few times while I was at college. Um, and I remember because we had to scour through Walmart to try and find it. Mm-hmm, like she right didn't before have a, we left yeah, for Christmas. She didn't have a copy. So for Christmas, Carly and I got her a nice copy of it. So and, Margaret. Mm-hmm. and Margaret. And Margaret. And Margaret. But that is why we love the movie so much. And Carly, did you find your notes from your nice... I did. I do, I do, in fact, have my notes. Thank you for asking. All right. Well, shall we jump right into those? Um, yes. I think uh, before we get into the plot or anything like that in the beautiful songs and the beautiful animation and all that, I think it's important to address um, some fundamental aspects of Princess and the Frog. Um, The main reason I chose this movie this week is because um, we watched it for my representation in pop culture class. Um, And so we had about an hour-long discussion last week about um, this movie and different parts of this movie, how it contributes to um, how we see black people in media, Um, and then some historical things behind it that I think are just interesting to bring up when talking about this movie. Um, so basically this movie's focus is, um, on the concept of the American dream, right? Um, Tiana's whole thing is that she's working two waitressing jobs. She wants to own a restaurant. Um, this was her dream and, um, the dream of her father and, um, something that, Um, Basically, this movie tries to tell us that by working hard, you can accomplish your goals, right? This concept of the American dream. Um, 
but um, one thing that is important to take away um, with the concept of the American dream in general, but specifically to black Americans, is that um, there is uh, obviously systemic racism in America, and so it is inherently harder for people of color, and specifically black people, to accomplish those goals because of the color of their skin and how our system is set up against them. Um, this movie takes place in New Orleans in the 1920s, um, which is um, pre-civil rights movement, um, so there are uh, a significant amount of, of changes that have yet to happen in America um, before this point, so it's important to consider the fact that this would be a very um, racism-heavy time period, um, which is interesting that they chose to make the first black Disney princess happened during a period of a higher level of racism. Yeah. However, it, I mean, not that I was missing the racism in this movie, but it it's kind of like interesting that like their first introduction to it, like I'm assuming you're about to say, is in this time period where it was very right. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes, is that it? Although although the the closest we really get in this movie to being introduced to any level of racism against Tiana. Um, is basically when they tell her that someone of your background would have a hard time purchasing this place that she tries to purchase in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That's the closest we get. And but the thing with that is that it can be taken... Yeah, a few um, ways. A few ways, because... And, and, it, and they kind of tie together. Um, it's historically in our country, um, people that are not white, and specifically black people, have a higher likelihood of living poverty, right? And this is particularly true in New Orleans, which is where this takes place. Or New Orleans, however you want to say it, where this takes place. Um, and so with the context of the word someone of your background can be applied to both like a classist perspective as well as like racism. Um, regardless, it's it's a little bit discriminatory against Tiana, or I guess I should, quite a bit discriminatory against Tiana. Um, why that is, is kind of up for interpretation, although it could probably be fairly assumed that it's due to both of those things, right? Um, right. The other thing is that, um, so I just wanted to bring that up. I think, yeah. I think that it's interesting that Disney chooses to have this representation in this film, but they kind of use like the Disney magic to wash over the concept of racism. A lot of people, um, say that maybe that's not an essential story story that needs to be told in a kid's film, but if you're going to address what it's like for a black working class woman in the 1920s in New Orleans, I feel that um, including the level of racism that she would be exhibited against and would be treated with is probably pretty essential to her story. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, and I don't really know, like, there's a lot of debate on like what is age appropriate for kids when it comes to racism. And I think that there's a appropriate way of handling like letting children know that racism is a thing without it being to a level that's like traumatizing yeah, for them. I, Cause you can teach someone about racism and, and how to handle it properly and not be racist. One you know, of the better examples from Disney actually is in Zootopia, uh, <laughs> which uh, even though it's animals, uh, there is a lot of um, racial themes in that movie, and I feel like that why I'm saying it's a good example is because if the the child looks back on it after loving the film for all the different reasons, they look back on it. And they're like, oh, so that's like 
uh, <laughs> kind of a thing. Just like this. Right, and new light on sorry, the go film. Ahead. Uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> right, and um, so with that in mind, right, you're saying that the best representation that you can think of in Disney right now about racism comes from a movie where people are depicted as animals. Yeah. Right. Back on that, and we kind of talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Soul, when Soul first came out, which I haven't seen yet, but um, Disney's consistent need to depict black people as something other than people um, throughout any time that they depict a character that's black Mm -hmm. is an interesting thing to discuss. Um, Do we, you know, chalk that up to them trying to, like, whitewash these characters? I don't know, but... um, It's certainly suspicious, and I think one thing that I didn't really know about until we were talking about this in class is that there is this really weird history in animation specifically. Um, A lot of animation, and specifically Disney animation, comes from um, this time period of minstrel shows, right? Which, do you know what minstrel shows are? I don't think I do. Okay, I'll just explain it for the audience. Okay, so minstrel shows are... Well, yeah, for Bryce, specifically for Bryce. Um, Menstrual shows are this time in um, American theater and entertainment, um, like the time of like Bing Crosby, right? Black and white movies. Um, it's this time of where entertainment in on stage and, and eventually in movies um, is largely just blackface. Um, it's used as a way to character, um, characterize um, b- black Americans. It's, um, post-slavery, but it's a way of making white people, um, be, feel comfortable laughing at black people, um, creating these caricatures of, um, characteristics of black Americans that are, um, made fun of by white Americans. And it's this very popular form of entertainment, which we know now today is, uh, super racist and not cool, but it was, a hugely popular form of entertainment. It became where like like ninety percent of stage entertainment and eventually movie entertainment was um, some sort of minstrelsy, um, which is you know blackface, um, to the point where we see actors like Bing Crosby and Judy Garland doing it in some of their early movies, um, and tons of other actors. The first um, film to ever be done with um, with speaking, so the first non-silent film, is The Jazz Singer in the nineteen twenties. Um, and it is about a Jewish, um, American man who, um, his dream is to become famous for singing. And specifically at this time, he wants to become a famous minstrel show performer. And so the first non-silent movie in America is largely based off of minstrelsy, largely based off of blackface. And so there is, um, both in American culture when it comes to early entertainment, and then that translates into animation where minstrelsy becomes a thing. And so Mickey Mouse's character and original design is based off of minstrel shows, is based off of this character of blackface, um, which is really interesting. And so a large portion of American animation actually comes from um, people performing blackface and performing in minstrel shows. So that's something that's important to take in when we're looking at um, specifically Disney's animation and their first majorly black character coming in 2009 um where they when minstrel shows 
stopped being as popular and animation shifted from not being so blatantly racist it um they started by depicting black characters as different types of animals right um one of the main ways they did this was by depicting black people as swamp creatures so frogs and crocodiles were the main way of depicting black people in animation the first way that any um black black characters were depicted in animated films for a very long time um it was this level of um treating black people as if they come from a lower or degrading um place specifically in the bayou in the south usually um and there's this very famous cartoon where they depict I believe it's a Disney cartoon as well, where they de they depict um, some famous black jazz performers as frogs playing trumpet, I think. Um, but it's just this, it's this weird animation thing where, like, frogs historically depict black people in an offensive way. I don't know why mm. they chose, like, what about that? It's odd. Yeah. And it's even weirder that knowing that, having to go to school for animation, right, mm -hmm. that they still choose to make the only black Disney princess yeah. the princess and the frog. And then make her a frog for the whole movie, right? <laughs> it's, it's, that's fucking weird, right? So, which I have no idea. I learned this in class, right? Yeah. Um, I'm learning it right now. Yeah, and so like I knew about minstrelsy, I knew about that. I've learned that in other classes. You know, I've we all know about blackface. We know it's a thing, um, and so I knew a little bit about like the foundations of our country's entertainment system being built on minstrelsy. But I had no idea how that played into animation specifically, and even more specifically how black people are portrayed in animation and how that literally carries through into this movie so hard. I had no idea, and that. It's insane to me because we have no idea. We're not animators, right? People yeah. making this movie went to school for years to learn about that shit. And they still did it. I don't... I like... How do you... Why? There's so right. many other things you could do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just odd. I don't know. I just thought that that was... I don't yeah. even know what to make of that. It's so specific and weird to me that, like, there's... It would just be such an easily avoidable thing. Like, there seems to be no excuse as why to do that, you know? Um... That. I'm not saying that makes this a bad movie by any means. Right. You know, it's it's a stepping stone in representation. It's a good movie. You know, it tells an important story, right? But it's still really strange that they chose to do that. This is put on by white people depicting these stories mm -hmm. <laughs> and still using these weird stereotypes from animation from years and years and years ago as a means that was used as a means of degrading black people. Like, it's insane. Um, and I don't understand it. And then the other thing... Um, that is, so we were just talking about how it seems odd that they would choose the 1920s as a time period for this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things we talked about in my class as well is that, um, historically for black people and specifically black Americans, the, um, most whitewashed music genre for black people is jazz, right? It is the most widely accepted by white people out of different forms of um, historically black music. It makes sense that if Disney was going to create a musical movie about a black princess, that they would prefer to use jazz over hip hop or rap, which is less accepted by white audiences, mm -hmm. you know, and it's same thing goes for soul <laughs> where it's the <laughs> right. And it's, so it's this music genre that it is um, jazz based and it's not the first like their soul the jungle book is also jazz based which is also a movie where they use like 
kind of for the first time some people of color um and it's like this weird thing where it's like they only feel comfortable if they want to like contribute some sort of like musicality to the um different races that they're identifying within these films is that they have to use jazz because um other culturally significant music genres for these races and for these communities are not deemed like safe enough for white Disney audiences. It's odd. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's something to consider as well as like, why do we have so many jazz movies? Because jazz as a genre is not nearly as popular with younger generations as, as genres like hip hop and rap are, Yeah, you know, I... but in terms of for a white, parental audience it's certainly safer yeah i think in defense of the movie and in this regard uh i feel like jazz might have been chosen after the time period had been chosen for the movie yeah but i think i think it seems odd that yeah you're gonna choose the 1920s for a black movie for a movie about black people mm-hmm. yeah like if you're that, trying to show any level of cultural significance right. and then choosing to ignore racism that yeah that a, decision was a little weird but and, because they made the weird decision i feel like jazz was the right option for that decision as well. i just think if you're thinking of 1920s new orleans you're thinking of jazz yeah, i don't exactly. think that there's any That's way of, of separating those two and so if you're picking that time period and you know that you're going to do it about a black princess right i don't see any way of being able to disassociate that if you're a white person you know it's your job to (laughs) it's your job to as someone creating content for such a large company you know because disney has always said right it's their whole thing is they say they do not make content for people they're not making content as an art form they're not trying to do it to support different groups it's solely for the purpose of monetary value and so it, it makes sense that same way that whenever they add a gay character into any disney movie it's a short scene you know like gaston at the end of beauty and the beast um there's a character in onward there's a character there's those two women in, in finding dory like anytime that there is a quick shot or something like that it's all of gay characters it's always a quick shot because then they have the excuse of well in china um they cannot produce a movie in china having gay characters in it and so it allows them to cut that scene out and so it's always been about monetary value they don't care about the representation and they made that very clear they'll come right out and say that right um and i think that's important to keep in mind when we're considering representation and specifically Disney animation, um, especially with the level of background that this one seems to have that I feel like I, only because I didn't know most audience members probably um, yeah. have no idea about. And I um, think uh, they're in their monetary eyes, this movie, even though it is a culturally stepping stone for them, uh, it wasn't very successful in their eyes. Uh, right. Money wise. Um, it wasn't nest like a flop on paper, but compared to what they were probably were expecting from uh, a Disney animated release, theatrical release, uh, it didn't perform too amazingly. I think its budget was just over a hundred million, and it made around two hundred fifty million back. Which isn't like I'm saying it's not a flop, but right. compared to like newer projects like Moana. 
same directors and everything, cultural significance in that story. Right, made like right. Six times the budget, whereas just barely made two. So it's odd, and I, I would argue that part of that is because of the lack of of audience for jazz <laughs> you know kids are much more gonna like music like the music in frozen or moana than they are gonna be hyping up over jazz music um not that that was you know yeah but i would argue that that's probably part of why it didn't um but when i think of these songs i don't really too heavily as, i guess not the longer i'm thinking about it they are pretty jazzy aren't yeah, and the whole thing is jazz. The whole thing's based on jazz. Like yeah. the the crocodile, like his whole con, like it. And this other thing is like this this crocodile character. It's like he has to pretend to be someone he's not to be accepted to play for like these white audiences. That's like his whole character arc, mm-hmm. right? As he basically has to yeah. fake his appearance mm-hmm. to be accepted, and that's like such an allegory for. Yeah. It's just, it's the, there's so many levels to it that I'm like, at first I'm like, oh, that's really weird. I wonder if that's intentional, you know? And then it's like, the further I learn about it, I'm like, there's no way that such a large team and so many well-educated animators and, you know, so many well-educated people could go into this and no one thought about it, you know, that it could not be intentional. There's no way that that's possible. Yeah. And speaking of Lewis, uh, his whole design is actually based on, off of, or maybe is his name Louis or Lewis? I already forgot. Yeah, I don't. It's it, Lou. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Lewis. I don't know. <laughs> his whole character is based off of Louis Armstrong. Uh, right, which is a trumpet black player. jazz artist who black. is being portrayed as a swamp creature. Yep. <laughs> so there's that. Um, <laughs> for some, got, who, why? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I also want to talk about. Um, that isn't necessarily about um, the race issues in oh, this. This is my got, last thing I, I got, really want to talk about. I got one one more thing to add before you get this point. Okay, go ahead. Um, That's fine. So, like I said about the decision of it being a jazz story because of the one decision to make it set in New Orleans in this time period, I feel like the swamp creatures come also from that one decision of the setting that time period right place but specifically the bayou like specifically southern and like new orleans in this time period is known speci- like specifically for race issues like there's the there's this large concept of like being two sides of new orleans in the 1920s like the upper class side the upper class plantation owners like the old a lot like old old money people that obviously no longer own slaves but are <laughs> are wealthy off of money that slavery let yeah. them. And then Jesus. the newly freed slaves that are the working class, lower class of New Orleans. And it's this, it's historically a well-known thing. And so it's just to pick, the, it aligns up too specifically, you know, for all mm-hmm. that to be like, oh, because they picked like the 1920s and then New Orleans, like it's, then they had to have jazz. They had to have the body. Like that doesn't, Mm-hmm. That's so specific. And then to do all that and still ignore racism in the film. Right. What is that? <laughs> like you can't if you're if you're gonna use those things that are historically like traumatic for people in the black community and then to ignore any level of racism. One little throwaway line that can be interpreted in several ways. Mm-hmm. Many of which that are seems not sketchy, racism. right? Yeah. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I just don't see an explanation for it. That's they're all too coincidental. It's all too you can't. I think that they, as a studio, weren't ready to fully commit to it yet. But I agree. Were aware enough to know that this is a story yeah. that at some point it had to happen. Yep. So I would agree with that. That's a good so analysis. <laughs> So maybe, because um, like I was saying with Zootopia and even Moana, Coco, Raya, uh, you know, like these are stories that feature um, people of color and, and different heritages and all this other shit that have been. And hit. some situations are being contributed to by people from those. Right. It's Raya especially, as well. I'm pretty sure is yeah. very heavily involved i could be completely wrong on that yeah um, and moana as well i believe has um mm-hmm. quite a bit of people like like and coco specifically has a a ton of influence from yeah but like in those movies because at least i don't know i haven't seen raya yet but in those movies as well they take place in entirely i don't want to say fictional because i don't know like they're like they take place in places where only that race exists in the storyline there are no white people in Moana, you know? Yeah. It's, and so there still is no aspect of racism in it because they're, and same thing with Coco, there are no white people in Coco, you know? So yeah, there's, there's no racism no being portrayed. And so we're, yeah. right, and so we're still approaching these like culturally significant movies for these different races and different cultures without acknowledge like but made by american companies made by for profit for these white owned american companies without acknowledging the racism behind a lot of stuff that happens to these people in the country where these movies are being made mm-hmm. you know and i think i think that basically what we came to in our discussion in class with in terms of discussing racism and stuff like that in in movies like this is that um in order to have disney be able to maintain a level of profit and a level of their audience they have to start working through this in small steps and they did so by making movies like pocahontas and mulan where they just start kind of checking off different races in their movies you know making movies revolved around different different cultures Mm -hmm. um because with the hopes that um, as young kids watch these and it becomes more normalized to have princesses a different color, whatever. And they also did this with storylines as well, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, that it allows them to maybe in the future slowly get a little more adventurous in the types of stories they're telling the people they're telling these stories about, but they have to build those up like small stepping stones to slowly, to keep their audience comfortable enough where they can continue to make a profit, you know? And at least that's, that's the reason Disney has given. We do know that Disney does not care about people. (laughs) They only care about the profit. But if they are allowing these stories to be told in a manner that might make it more acceptable in the future, unfortunately, just because it's representation doesn't mean it's great representation. Um, but it's what we've got for now. And it is still something that gives us space to make 
better representation in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's still important to acknowledge the significance of Disney making the first Disney princess movie about a black princess. That's a huge deal, right? Um, regardless of the level of mistakes that they make throughout the process of making this movie. Right. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't erase the fact that that's still an accomplishment, but it's also doesn't mean that it's not important for us to acknowledge that it could have been done better. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, that I can acknowledge that it's not perfect and it definitely could have been done better. And it is not the epitome of representation for black people, especially in animation. Um, but that it is definitely culturally significant and important for little kids everywhere to see the fact that there can be a black princess. You know, little girls can go to Disney, little boys and girls can go to Disney and see, like, Disney World and see Tiana there alongside the other Disney princesses and meet her, and and that's still something that allows kids to strive and think that that could be them, you know? Right. And that's still very important, and, and, and really... You know, I don't want to say any level of representation is still representation because that's not necessarily true, but it's still significant in that it allows for a better, um, for more a likelihood of um, a further push in this industry towards better, better opportunities and better representation for people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I think... Um... You, like you're saying, it's important that we have it, but it's also important to acknowledge it. I think that's pretty much exactly where I'm at, too. Because when we were born, that wasn't a thing at all. Right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and that's what keeps me thinking, is I'm like, I grew up with only white princesses. Mm-hmm. In, in, like, maybe Mulan at the time. Right. You know, as I don't, I don't, did this come out in the 90s or a little after? Did this movie... No, um, Mulan and Pocahontas. Oh, that was And 90s. Aladdin, I guess, too. That yeah. was all 90s. Yeah. So those were out, but barely. Mm-hmm. You know? And if like, you, the of... level of white princesses we have are right. <laughs> significantly more. And on top of that, too, it just... If this movie, Pr- Princess and the Frog, were to come out, right? And, like, that was it. Um, well, one, that's bad in its own right. But... In a few years, like, a kid's gonna grow up and just assume that there isn't anything, anything at all. Um, right. Because when I was growing up, I never watched, like, Aladdin was as close to as diverse as I got watching. Right. Anything. Yeah. Um, and, and I barely watched that movie. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think it's, um important that we're taking like these stepping stones um i wish that we were to take them a little quicker yeah <laughs> but i i wish we taking, didn't have to do it this way <laughs> i'm glad that we're taking them at all is where i'm at yeah um, yep i agree because there is I... definitely a point where um even when they were taken it was even more racist than that such as yeah. aladdin's original cut for arabian nights where it has like some of the most racist shit you've ever heard in your life um right and and all these movies have their own issues within them you know Mm -hmm. we could get into a lot we could get into the queer coding of the level of disney villains that are just like even um 
the villain in this movie, right? You can take him, you can take Jafar, there's a couple others too that are on such a high level, like, queer-coded. Like, they're, they are portrayed to be, like, really flamboyant. They're portrayed to be, you know, it's, and it's, like, always the villains, you know, that are so highly queer-coded. And so it's this weird thing because we start to associate, like, those features and these, like, gay stereotypes with, like, bad people. Yeah. And so, like, it's... Like, Ursula and... Right, and Ursula is straight up based off a drag queen. Like, one, like... One thousand percent. A real one. Like, she's, like, confirmed her character design is based off a drag queen, and so it's, like, you know? (laughs) You know what's crazy is that talking about Little Mermaid and Aladdin, those are also movies directed by these two guys. Right, um... And I don't want to, like, say that to sound like we're trashing them at all, because these guys make a lot of important movies, but... Right, the fact that they even made these movies in the first place. And um, The Little Mermaid in terms of... um, We don't have to really get into this because I could talk about this for a long time, but I won't. Um, In terms of uh, its level of, like, queer people in it is a very big deal. There's... um, God, I can't remember his name. But the composer that worked on Ariel um, is... Or was a um, gay male composer who um, ended up dying of AIDS. And he... Ariel was, like, one of the last movies he worked on. I believe he also worked on Aladdin as well. Um, but the song, um, Part of Your World, he wrote as, base. it's basically like a, um... Coming out song. Yeah, yep, like, 100%. And the first take anyone ever recorded of it is him singing it. And he instructed the woman who plays Ariel... Um, how to sing it like properly in the same tone and method that he would sing it as his own song. Um, and when he, he died before the little mermaid won any, um, awards or anything. And when it did, they allowed his, um, this was before gay marriage was legal. Obviously they allowed his, um, his like life partner to come up and accept the award on behalf of him and like talk about him. And it's, like one of the first times we see that actually happening, happening like in public, acknowledging yeah, that's that. Crazy that they would even especially, that right? Especially because he died of AIDS, and so the likelihood of his partner having AIDS was probably higher as well. Um, and so it's a very in in gay culture, it's a it's a very important song, um, and therefore important film as well. You know, and so when I think of Ariel, I'm like shit. Like they really. Uh, fucked over the gay community with Ursula and making another villain based off of queer culture. But, um, I can also appreciate the significance of that happening, which is kind of how I feel about this, (laughs) you know, Mm. like there's, it's hard to create any level of representation. And we were kind of talking about this in WandaVision. We were talking about X-Men and, um, having queer people versus people of color. Like it's hard to have any level of representation without wiping out another just because of how our system is set up and, and not making it so hard for, for minorities to participate in stuff. Um, but it's important to acknowledge the good and the bad, I think specifically in princess and the frog but um that goes back to movies like ariel and stuff so i i guess what i'm trying to say by bringing that up is that these guys obviously i don't think are going out of their way to try and fuck over all these communities um and i don't know how much of a lot of the poor decisions that happened is out of ignorance or out of studio decisions you know stuff that was out of their hands i don't know because i wasn't there but um it happened 
So, but I, I'm not shitting on these guys. But I still think we should acknowledge that stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into the plot? Yeah, but I have one more thing I wanted oh, sorry, to say sorry. off my list. Okay. No, it's okay. This It's not about race. It's, um, well, a little bit. Okay. So Tiana and Lottie's friendship is basically what I want to talk about. Um, they're, so they're really good friends. And it's like one of the, it's the second friendship in Disney princess movies that is um, the main character having a human friend. It's the, like the old, one of the second one in all of the movies, um, which is super funny and weird you to me. I don't know why we do that. No, I can look it up. It would tell you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think through all the ones because it's not Aladdin because of Abu or in the tiger. It's not Ariel. It's it, it's still not even Moana or Tangled like or Frozen. Actor. You know, it's not. It's not Mulan. Yeah, it's yeah. Pocahontas. It's Pocahontas. Who's the, oh. I don't know. I have her other. She's okay. a friend. Yeah. All right, I haven't seen that. That's the only. Well, I'm just saying that's the only other one in Disney Princess history that has like a human friend. So it's and specifically a a a female human friend. Um, And so one thing that Disney is um, notorious for, specifically in like earlier Disney movies, is like pitting women against each other. Um, And this is one of the first times where we see an actual like very genuine relationship and friendship between two women, which is and that support each other. You know, which is actually really nice and refreshing to see. Um, and, um, like specifically at the end of this movie, do you care if I give a spoiler? Uh, I think we're okay. Okay. Um, so specifically, if you had on it, it's a spoiler. Um, specifically at the end of this movie when, um, Lottie doesn't get what she's been searching for the whole movie, essentially, like her goal to marry a prince, her lifelong dream, whatever. And instead of being jealous of Tiana, she um, is really sweet and supportive of her um, and tries to help her. And I that's like the first time like it, you could compare that to like Cinderella's stepsisters. You know, like there's so many different Disney movies you can compare that to where that isn't usually how that character would react. Um, they could have easily made Lottie like a bad guy, right? But she um, ends up being really supportive with Tiana and that's like a big deal um in terms of like the betrayal of these women um so I think that's a really good thing um that comes out of this movie um also um I do want to talk about though the this commentary that Disney tries to kind of make um it's like Lottie kind of represents the average Disney audience member in a way Right. She very much believes in fairy tales and happy endings and wants to find like her Prince Charming, you know, and she's portrayed to kind of have this um, naivety about her where she's got this weird relationship with men and as well as her like her appearance, um, whereas Tiana is rather critical um, of that and she kind of jokes about it, makes fun of it a little bit and Um, We're, like, assured that Tiana doesn't need to be supportive by a man. Um, And it's odd because it's, like, they kind of make fun of Lottie for that, even though it's, like, what their audience is. But then, and, and like, and kind of have this idea, kind of get the audience to feel like Tiana is better than Lottie because of it. But then at the end of the movie, and same thing goes when we're talking about, like, the idea of achieving the American dream if you work hard enough, um... Tiana 
is supported by a man. Like, that's how she completes her dream is, like, at the end of the day, she gets married to a rich guy. And that's how she's able to achieve what she wants. And it's kind of... It's kind of odd because and one thing we're talking about then is that there's this weird trope of specifically in movies like Hallmark movies um, where like there's this idea of like a very feminist ideas that the woman doesn't need the men's support. You know, she's going to get by on her own and she's a strong, independent woman. But still, at the end of the day, the plot always ends the same where in order to support herself, she ends up with the man, Yeah, you know, and not just as and, and we get differing plots in later disney movies you know um like in frozen and in different stuff like that where um it, it doesn't necessarily end up that way but this one is odd in that it, it continues like it both critiques that idea through lottie but then turns right around and, and does the same thing and, th- and that goes as well with like you know tiana's like i um if you work hard enough you can achieve your dreams but at the end of the day she cannot afford her dream d- because well, you could argue presumably because of her disadvantages in, as a black woman in a racially, yeah. um, as in a racist society, but they don't, you know, say that. And so it's like, is she's eventually supported by this guy. And so it's this weird commentary that Disney like makes and then like turns on its head. It's, it's weird. I, I think on yeah. that, so they have the whole song. The, I think it's called Dig a Little Deeper, Mama Odie's song. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the song, it's basically the, getting the message across that um, if you work hard, you can achieve your goals, but don't go past it and realize that you might already have what you already need. And um, yeah. Tiana really realizes this when um, the Shadow Man... Uh, gives the illusion of her in a restaurant um, near the end of the movie and she comes to the realization that she doesn't need this dream because she has love Um, right and that's objectively like she's giving up her lifetime goal for a person for a man and like although I get the message it's still for young kids watching that, that's what it boils down to. Right. I guess I see the critique, but I get what they were going for. So I don't know where... It's like... Where's the fine line to get It feels to me like they want you to think that that's what they're going for. Which one? Like, they they want you to think that they're trying to have this idea that Tiana doesn't... That is Tiana is stronger than needing a man to take care of her right that she's Mm -hmm. beyond that stereotype um but the way that they end the story leads me to think that that is more or less so they can say that they're differing the story i don't necessarily think that's because they actually want you to feel that way yeah because i feel like at the end of the story if if it ended up being that uh naveen wasn't rich or something like that or it wasn't even Naveen. That would was, have been different. Uh, it was uh, her friend. Uh, but anyways. Uh, yeah. Because I feel like at the end of the story, if um, her friend didn't offer her the money, she would have been still happy at the end of the story. 
it right the re- adding the restaurant to it is more of a flashier way to do that i think yeah and it also contributes to i don't know it's odd they like if they didn't add that in it would be harder for them to incorporate racism into it mm-hmm. yet they made it easier on themselves and then still didn't do it i don't know it's yeah i just I have a know. lot of questions for the people <laughs> in terms yeah. of like their thought process behind all that Which stuff and it. i know that it comes down to funding i know that it comes down to disney i get it you know real realistically i know that's the world we live in i understand but mm-hmm. i wish it didn't have to be that way um, and yeah. I hope that eventually it doesn't, but it's just weird. It's like, they're making fun of their own audience and then they're turning it on its head and being like, but because Tiana does it because she's, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Right. It's like, and also Lottie being like the ditzy character. She's the only Disney princess that isn't built as like a really skinny stick figure, you know? And she's like the comic relief as well. Like she's supposed to be silly and, and kind of dumb mm-hmm. you know so they also build in this weird stereotype about and it's like because she's not even plus sized you know she's not even by any means overweight at all um but because she's bigger than any other disney princess has ever been um is she, is she i only think when i think of her i just think of like the really big poopy dress that makes her look bigger is she's, she actually though like She's not plus size, but she's bigger than most of the other ones are. Like, she's the biggest think. princess that we've gotten so far. She's the most normal-sized princess that we've gotten so far. I can't even think of what she and... looks like right now. <laughs> I can only see her face. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up, but you keep talking. I want to look this up. <laughs> well, it's just, the only reason is, like, I, watching this movie, it was the first princess that I feel like I could resonate with visually. Like, I felt like, oh, I could kind of look like that, you know? Um... But she also portrays this stereotype of, like, the fat comedic relief character. Right. Even though she's not. Like, like by no means is she overweight or plus-sized and, you know, but she's, she's Disney's version of it. And it's just weird. Yeah, she's... Not, no, okay. Yeah. I would even... I don't know. She's still pretty much a stick figure. <laughs> yeah, but she's still larger than you know. Yeah, by comparison, I get, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. <laughs> right, it's right, the biggest. It's the most close to normal. No, you're right, and that's that's how I felt about it too. Is I was like, it's frustrating for me that I have to identify with this character that is still obviously very disproportionate to how actual women look, <laughs> and that's the closest I'm gonna get. You know, that's it. Yeah. And that's me talking as a white person who has, like, six other princesses I can look at. Imagine how people of color must feel when they get one. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that's all I had to talk about in terms of that stuff. Um, again, just to clarify before we move on, um, you can still appreciate the good things about this movie while acknowledging the bad parts. So if you would like to address anything in the plot. Um, yeah, so, I feel like we've really talked about the meat, so I think the only two things that I have left are the few negatives I have with it, 
um, and asking you if you have a favorite song because I can't fucking decide what my favorite song is in this movie because they're all fucking bangers. Yeah, and, they are. Uh, I think that we're more prone to that since we um, have a little more experience with like jazz and through playing in band and stuff than I think maybe the average person does. Right. You know? And on top of all that, there are no forgettable songs, too. Like, every mm-hmm. song is memorable. Um, I get, like, by default, I think the worst one is the credit song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, there's that. Uh, I don't know if you have a favorite that you want to bring up or not. But... I just, like, Dig a Little Deeper is my favorite because mm-hmm. I think it has a good message in it more than I don't know like I feel like um this is like we were just talking about with like plot lines and stuff that this is kind of what Disney first starts getting adventurous with like the messaging in it and obviously it's still very similar to past movies you know and but I think that um that song and specifically is um has a nice differing message to it than some of their other stuff does and i appreciate that awesome. and also it's a banger <laughs> that definitely so helps. not that the others aren't but yeah. right uh, anyways i think the one that i always lean towards is friends on the other side but yeah like, as of that's right a good now, song yeah uh as of right now i'm also on the dig a little deeper or um down in new orleans uh phase yeah <laughs> just depends it's on all the, good the day uh, yeah. Anyways. Um, so, the negatives that I have of this movie outside of, like... Uh, More negative? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> outside of... It's the, a good movie. I'm yeah. not mad at it at all, by any right. means, but... Um, I just think that a lot of this movie happens because the movie needs it to happen. Um, yeah. This movie could have been over very quickly if it wanted to be, but it kept finding ways to stretch it out and it's not like it's an annoying stretch out it's more of like a why didn't this character just do that movie would have been done by now kind of a thing um and the biggest example of that is that if um tiana and Dottie were such great friends growing up why didn't big daddy just give her the restaurant yeah like basically <laughs> live together like yeah. basically we're a one family forever yeah mm-hmm yeah, I also thought about that. I don't know. <laughs> but we know why. <laughs> um, but, I don't know, just things like that um, are kind of um, not very noticeable throughout it. But other than that, I think the humor, um, ha- it, like my favorite joke in this entire movie is where it goes completely morbid and dark for like <laughs> three seconds. And it's just the fucking most hilarious shit ever. But even if I wasn't as twisted sense of a humor man as I am, (laughs) uh, I think I would have still found this funny as a child. And that's when um, uh, Naveen asks Luis why he doesn't just play trumpet with them he's like oh i tried that once and he jumps in the band on the boat and then immediately gets like a shot gun fired at yeah jump off the boat (laughs) he's like it didn't go too well yeah (laughs) and uh, i laugh out loud every single time at that joke um so i i wish that more of the humor lined up with that 
rather than relying on the snot and mucus things, which don't like, which aren't bad, but it's for me personally, it's just nowhere near as funny as that. Um, but other than that, uh, I think this romance is absolutely adorable, uh, especially between Ray and Angeline. Uh, love that song. <laughs> and um, one thing I want to quickly address about uh, the commentary aspects of this that we didn't discuss is that throughout <laughs> the entire movie, uh, Naveen refers to Tiana only as waitress or princess throughout the entire thing. And after Ray sings his song to Angeline, he begins to fall in love with Tiana and starts referring to her at, by her name because he starts to respect her as a woman instead of a object more, which I think is one of the few things uh, commentary-wise that this movie actually got right. Is yeah. like not is respecting a... women no not that <laughs> i know but you're that's what it is <laughs> well it's it's like but barely it's uh i don't know that yeah i like that aspect. no you're right it's cute and it's creative and i enjoy and i like that well. it's not uh shoving it down your throat very much either um other than that i like i said this movie just is going to mean more for me um as long as kelsey doesn't uh and i don't break up which uh <laughs> knocking on wood <laughs> but i doubt that'll happen uh ever i okay I, that's good to I, know i, I, I love it <laughs> <laughs> um that was only for kelsey that was only don't no one else no one take that away <laughs> <laughs> um but other than that, uh, so like I like I'm saying, it's going to mean more than me. So as, even if I'm not emotionally wrapped up in the story, I'm going to be from here on out. Um, and also, <laughs> one more thing, uh, I think uh, the Shadow Man is way too scary for a kids movie. Um, yeah, I don't know what age I'm supposed to show my children this movie. Because if I sh- if this is if I show them this as their first movie, I am terrified that they're never gonna want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was when I was a kid with Lilo and Stitch. Really? Like I yeah, because I watched it and then I asked my parents if the if CPS was gonna come take me, <laughs> and then they didn't let me watch it again. <laughs> because I was I like straight up thought I was gonna get taken away from my parents. So that's really cool. Uh, I think Lilo and Stitch scared me a little bit too, but it was only when Stitch was being. Uh, the evil uh, version yeah but just like this uh, demonic alien (laughs) but that's also i feel about alice in wonderland too that was pretty scary as a kid Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know there's something i feel like you need to be a little bit older Mm -hmm. definitely but the first black princess movie shouldn't be one of those No. I just I, I don't know I, I feel like I, I don't want anyone to think I don't like this movie because I do like it like as mm-hmm. a movie it's a good movie but I Besi- things need to be addressed <laughs> yeah. besides from uh, all of the commentary things do you have any yeah. other uh, like glaring issues with it or no I 
I mean, I think, um, I remember when this first was coming out when I was younger and I was like, it's cool that they're doing that, um, that story. Like the princess and the frog is a, a fun fairy tale. Um, and I think that although we've discussed the issues with the setting in the time period and everything, that is a creative twist on the story. Yeah. Um, including the fact that she turns into a frog and then there's like um, the whole aspect of that and trying to solve that problem. It's a creative twist on the original fairy tale. Not without its problems, but, you know, I can praise that, I feel, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have a rating in mind for this movie? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I think it is a seven and a half out of ten for seven me. Seven and a half, yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, it, for me, it just boils down to the writing and certain decisions, um, but this is always going to mean something very special to me. So I'm going, uh, like nine, eight and a half yeah. area, nine, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 next week, I don't, we are going to be talking about Juno. Yay. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know off the top of my head if that is available on any streaming services. I just know that I still yeah. have Kelsey's DVD I think, behind me. I feel like they just put that on something. I feel like I just saw Juno on somewhere. Mm, a premium so. subscription well. on Hulu. It's out there. I think I think Maggie has a DVD or something, so it'll be fine. We'll, take we'll care find of it. it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry how we watch. Just know we will, because yep. neither of us have seen it, so mm-hmm. it will of... be an interesting little thing. Yes. Alrighty, uh, Carly, where can they find you? Um, you can find me watching the last episode of WandaVision with Ellie or, um, over on my Instagram at Curly, uh, period Bauer. <laughs> uh, Bryce, <laughs> Bryce, where can I find you? Uh, yes, you can find me anxiously waiting till I get the opportunity to sit down and fully immerse myself into the Zack Snyder's Justice League movie or on Instagram at Bryce Kelly Howe. And wow. with all of that said... Um, there's no end scene. Please go home. <laughs>